Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Okay, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today for the Confident Retirement Podcast. I'm Chris Flaming here as always from LPF Advisors. And today I have the pleasure of having Alisa Heady on the program. She is an estate planning and trust attorney at Williams Parker, located in Sarasota, Florida. She's going to share her knowledge with us today, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Alisa, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Hey, everyone. All right, cool. So let's jump in. We have a lot to go over. I would like you to take me through, you have kind of interesting history, how you got to where you are. So take me through kind of a brief summary of how you came to be where you are today. Yeah, Chris. So I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, My dad was an attorney growing up. So I kind of had him like a mentor. I always looked up to him. He was so honest and hardworking and thoughtful. So kind of always had kind of the law school lawyer in the back of my mind, went to the University of Florida for undergrad and then decided that I couldn't make a living off an anthropology degree. So decided that archaeology wasn't going to work out and ended up going to Stetson Law School in St. Pete. And then kind of during law school, I figured out what I didn't want to do, which was not criminal, not family law, and ended up really liking kind of the estate planning tax realm. So I went back to the University of Florida for an LLM in tax. And then during that program, I received a really um, great opportunity to work in Sarasota. And I knew I wanted to be kind of on the West Coast of Florida. And it was just a great spot for retirees and estate planning. So that's how I ended up here in Sarasota. Okay. And for people who don't know who are watching or listening, what is the LLM LLM, designation or yeah, what is that? It's a master's degree. So it's a master's in law. It's like um, a graduate school program after you um, obtain a law degree. You can also get it um, without a law degree, but it's just kind of an extra year of education that really focuses on um, tax planning. So I focused on estate planning, estate tax, gift tax, generation skipping tax. Um, It kind of puts you ahead in the estate planning realm. Whereas if you came out of just law school without that extra knowledge of the tax implications of an estate plan, um, you're kind of limited to just doing untaxable estates and administration. So it really kind of opened up the field so I can serve all sorts of clients from a widow who may not have that many assets to multi-generational families with over like $100 million worth of assets. So it kind of spreads the field and lets you represent a whole wide range of clients. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, if you could go back in time and give the younger you some advice when uh, when you started out, what do you wish that you knew then that you know now? So I think one of the things that I really wish I would have known is that law school prepares you to think like a lawyer, but it doesn't actually prepare you to be a lawyer. 
So kind of entering the, the workforce after being in school for eight years was kind of a shock to me. So I really wish that I would have had more maybe experience with like mentorships and clerkships and actually kind of in the actual practice of law before kind of just kind of getting thrown in. So I think maybe having a little bit more real world experience prior to actually becoming an attorney would have been very helpful. And if there are any law students or any um, students looking to further a professional degree, the more internship and exposure you can get before you start working is the better. Okay. All right. That's good advice. Now, you've shared this with me. How did you choose your main focus of law? Because, you know, I thought estate planning was boring. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of got to this earlier. I I was in law school and I was like, well, I don't want to do divorce. I don't want to do criminal. And unfortunately, when I was in law school, my um, grandfather passed away and Mm -hmm. it was a very tolling on my family. He kind of ran the family business and retirement and properties. And I remember I went with my grandmother and my, my mother to the estate planning attorney after he'd passed away. And he's still practicing in St. Pete. He's really fantastic. And he just was so warm-hearted and honest and confident and calming to my family that I left that meeting saying, this is what I want to do. It was just, it really resonated with me the way he was able to handle such a difficult situation and still give great legal advice. And then it just really resonated with me. And I knew that that was a good fit for me personally. Okay. All right. So that's a good segue into my next question. What do you like best right now about the area of practice that you're, you know, that you're involved in? So I actually, I practice both estate planning and then estate and trust administration. So it's Mm -hmm. both before life um, or before death and during your lifetime. So I've really kind of gotten in this groove with estate administration. So that's after families pass away. Um, I think I really enjoy it because I'm able to see how like wills and trust kind of come alive after a person passes away. And it really has made me a better estate planner in the long run because I'm able to learn from other people's mistakes or maybe missteps. We do get a lot of clients who come in who their parents maybe had wills prepared by another attorney in town or um, maybe out of another state. So it really gives you kind of exposures to all sorts of things. It's made me a better planner on the flip side during life as well. Okay. So let's go down that road a little bit. Um, So give give me an example of a common mistake that you see, and then maybe an estate planning, either tactic or a concept that would address that, that a lot of people should maybe consider without giving legal advice, of course. Yeah, no, of course. (laughs) So one thing I do see that um, kind of it makes things less efficient is, a client will come in and they'll say that, oh, I want, I want to put all three of my children on as the executor of my estate, which, okay, that sounds good. I mean, you want everyone to be treated equally. You don't want to upset mm-hmm. people. But in the actual administration of things, when you have three people serving, you've got to have all three people sign off. You have to send documents to all three people. It just makes things much more, there's a lag time that you wouldn't expect. And if they all get along beforehand, hopefully they'll all get along after the fact. So I think one of the mistakes I see all the time is putting on too many fiduciaries. Um, So that's one thing I try to talk to clients about, like, okay, we can put this in there, but this may not actually work out the best for you and your estate. It's more costly as well. Not only like sending FedExes, but they are also entitled to certain fees for their services. So just kind of figuring out, okay, how can we get kind of the biggest estate for the beneficiaries at the end of the day? So. All right. 
So then they might change their mind about how many people they list, right? As being a person, maybe naming the other people as a successor or something like that in case the primary person passes away. Yes, of course you can. I always recommend that you name a few successors, especially people who are maybe younger than you. So a lot of times, sometimes clients won't have um, children. So naming like a sibling is a good idea, but most of the time they'll age out with the client. So finding people who you really trust and they don't have to be like a financial planner or someone who's really, really good at that. They just have to know the right people to hire. So they need to hire a CPA and an advisor and an attorney. Um, They don't have to be the perfect trustee or personal representative. They just have to know where to get help. So what areas or what, I guess, when you're working with clients, are there some particular areas or some things that you find to be the most challenging? I don't mean the techniques you're using. I just mean in general, the, the challenges yes. of working with people when it comes to, to this type of law. For sure. So I do like a state administration, which I just said. And I think one of the reasons I, I enjoy it is because it is so challenging mm-hmm. because no family is the same, no estate plans the same, no assets are the same. And it, usually from my perspective, I represent the personal representative of an estate or the trustee of a trust. And um, usually there are beneficiaries involved and they may not be that same fiduciary person. So being responsive to those beneficiaries and especially if they're maybe a little hostile or upset that they're not receiving funds quicker, um, kind of balancing the both the psychology and the law and the family dynamics, I find very challenging. Do you think there's a big misconception about attorneys or estate attorneys or not lawyers in general, but just or about what you do? Do you see a Something that idea that people have that you would consider to be a misconception. Yes. So I think one thing is people, they just don't trust attorneys. And Mm. so one thing I I really enjoy is actually when you come into an estate planning meeting, you have about 30 seconds to a minute to, to gain someone's trust. I mean, you're talking about a person passing away. You're talking about their assets and wealth or debts that they've acquired over life. And then you're talking about their family, which is um, very personal to the client and kind of navigating that and gaining trust and not kind of being that traditional sense of an attorney. It's more of, I'm an, I'm an advisor. I'm guiding clients um, and kind of taking it out of that, that litigious viewpoint and turning it more into, no, I'm, I'm here to help you. Um, and, and coming over that misconception that attorneys are just there to sue you um, and, and kind of building that relationship with clients is, is so critical. I like how you said that. Let's drill down a little bit on that. So when someone passes away, there can obviously be a lot of emotion that's attached to that, right? Emotions are high, people are upset, they're grieving. Um, They don't always make great decisions, right? Under duress or when they're emotionally affected at that time. So how have you found or what have you found to be a a good way to approach that or to, to try to help them work through that? Yeah. So I think letting people know that I've also been through this process, letting clients know that I've also had very close family members pass away. And that I've also experienced the estate and trust administration that I've I've been in their shoes. I understand why they're upset and how they're grieving and how complicated and hard things are. Um, But I think really kind of setting up maybe like a weekly phone call to alleviate some of those stress rather than getting like inundated with emails or just kind of floundering, um, really kind of setting up, okay, let's set up a system where each Monday we'll have a phone call. We'll talk about the pressing issues. We'll get them on kind of a schedule. Our paralegals are great here. They're really good. If say I'm in a meeting, the client's unable to call me. 
we always have someone in the office who can take that call and kind of alleviate that stress and tension. So I think the, the biggest thing is, is communication and just kind of setting up proper timelines and proper um, parameters that if a question arises, maybe we don't freak out, maybe we wait until the weekly call and then we kind of go over all the issues at hand. Um, and just assuring them that if if they do need to get a hold of us, that we're here to to serve them. I like how you said that. So I know that one size does not fit all. All right, but in your experience, if there was a either a tactic or something that people could use an estate planning tool that you feel like covers a broad category of people, that would be not a bare minimum, but would be an important thing to have. What do you think that would be? Is it their core documents? Is it a revocable trust. And, and I know that that does one size doesn't fit all, but what do you usually find where people are really naked, right? Yes. Or, yeah. They're so out there. I think for the kind of the standard family, so married couple, and then they yeah. have children from the same marriage. I think the core documents that you definitely want to have would be your lifetime documents. So those operate during your life. If you're incapacitated, if you're unable to make decisions. So that would be your healthcare advanced directive. And that would probably include a living will if you want. What it does is it gives your agent the opportunity to make healthcare decisions. And then your durable power of attorney, which is kind of similar to that, where your agent during your lifetime can make financial decisions. They can continue writing checks, maintaining your home, things of of that sort. So I'd recommend pretty much every client, even if you're not really interested in estate planning, I think every person should have those documents. Um, it kind of avoids the the Terry Schiavo case, which happened in St. Petersburg, where you had competing interests saying what they wanted to happen to Ms. Schiavo and at, at the end of her life. So having those kind of avoids that family conflict. It gives the direction of what you want to happen after you're gone. And then on the flip side, the documents that I recommend, um, which operate after your life, so after you pass away, would be um, a pour over will and a revocable trust. So. A revocable trust is a great way to avoid probate in Florida. It's pretty much, I think, almost of like a souped up will. So what we do is we recommend that you transfer assets to that trust during your lifetime or name um, beneficiary designations such as POD or TOD to the trust. Um, and what it does is it avoids having the necessity to open up a probate estate. It makes things very efficient after both the um, surviving spouses pass away. And it just makes things easy and efficient for the family. And it's it's pretty much, I think, is like a souped up will and it has privacy. It's not recorded in the public record, whereas your will, everyone can see. So say you disinherit a child or do something like that. I mean, everyone can see it. And then the revocable trust also ensures that you can kind of keep things in your, your family line and you can really do anything you want in it. So it's got that flexibility is really kind of the, the best option, I think, for the, the standard family, sort of speak. Yeah. And just, just like, you know, people don't like to find out that their uh, boyfriend broke up with them on social media. You don't want to find out you got disinherited in the newspaper. Who yeah, reads the newspaper really anyway? You want to do right? So. Who reads the newspaper anyway? Okay, so without sharing any confidential information or details, I'm hoping you can give me an example of a situation where you were able to really help a client situation um, turn things around for the better. Yeah, so I think one thing clients come in and they want things to be simple and efficient and. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. But then we kind of get diving into, okay, well, what are your assets? Tell me about your family. And it ends up that 
either a child maybe doing great. They have like a physician child or something like that, but they need some asset protection, that child. So instead of just giving everything outright, we may change the trajectory and say, okay, well, we're going to set up a lifetime trust for this, this child to kind of insulate them from creditors. And the child may be doing great. He might have a fine marriage, he or she, and just kind of, instead of having everything going outright, showing them, okay, this is a different opportunity than what you thought. And it's still pretty efficient and, and simple, but it, the amount of credit protection and asset protection that you get from it for your child for maybe generations to come kind of outweighs just having things simple and efficient. I think another thing that people don't really think about when they come in is that it's not just the estate planning documents. So we execute the will and the trust, and there's still a lot of things that have to go on either before or after, such as putting assets into that trust, updating your beneficiary designations, retitling property into the trust if they have out-of-state property or rentals or setting up LLCs for maybe like houses that they rent out. Um, there's all sorts of things that happen after kind of the fact that that people don't really think about. So I think kind of going over the assets and the family and letting people know that it's not just simple and as straightforward as one would think. There's always way more to it, all these different layers that people don't think about. Yeah. And simple doesn't always equal efficient. So no. that <laughs> other solution might be efficient, but it wasn't simple necessarily. You can always draw a picture for them with boxes and lines that they seem to, yeah. most people flow, flow seem charts. to get that. Some yeah. people are visual learners. So right. we, we definitely do, we do flow charts. Some, it just doesn't resonate with some people. So picking different ways to share the information is always. We needed to take a PowerPoint when we were in college. It needed to be a class. Okay. So let's shift gears here, Elisa. Um, what do you see as your biggest opportunity for the future? What, professional. Yeah, so in the past year, I actually transferred from a boutique law firm in Sarasota to Williams Parker, which okay. is was a major change in my life. Um, I went from like a seven attorney firm to now a 50 person, um, 50 attorney law firm. And it's just really been kind of eye opening. I'm so excited about the opportunities that the firm presents. Um, they really push for having uh, attorneys and associates of all different levels. So I'm, I'm so excited about growing with my peers, my fellow associates, and kind of taking on the Sarasota community and improving it and making this a better place, and then just continuing the legacy of the firm. So I'm just so excited to grow with smart, young, talented people around me. And it's really, I think, going to be a great way to build my future. Okay. Now on the flip side, this is a little bit tougher to answer, but we still want to address it. Biggest challenge for you that you see, obstacle you need to overcome, you know, frustration, whatever that might be. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things is with kind of the changes in the law lately, we've okay. kind of been ebbing between conservative and liberal parties. And so with that comes major changes to tax laws. So trying to serve our clients and be prepared for any changes um, has been really challenging. So really kind of being ahead of that curve and informing our clients of any changes, being on top of things and preparing for kind of the wave of clients coming in, doing potentially some gifting before major legislative change, I think is the most challenging thing for me and my department here. Yeah, I sometimes get those calls. They said this today or this came out or I read this article. So what does that mean? Do we have to do something now? <laughs> 
All right. If people want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to contact you or to reach out? Yeah. So the best way is either to call or email me. Um, my email is aheedy at williamsparker.com, or you can visit our website, um, williamsparker.com and see if you need help with an estate planning attorney, or I mean, we're full service. So we handle all sorts of things from litigation to labor and employment, real estate. We pretty much do anything besides criminal or divorce so or family law. So if you have any needs, feel free to reach out to me and I'll either help you or put you in contact with the right person. All right. Fantastic. Alisa, listen, I want to thank you for being here today. I want to thank you for being on the show. This was very helpful, very informative. We covered a lot of information in a short time, and it was great. And I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning in today, watching the Confident Retirement Podcast, brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're raising the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Have a great day. Be well. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.